White Sox fans, we are recording. It is something called, oh my gosh, it's new to since we've moved to the StreamYard platform. In fact, this you may be familiar with. It is a it's a classic podcast. It's an old timey podcast from way back in the day. We called it Dugout Metrics. Uh, some some facts for you. This is number eight. Some facts for you. Number seven was a playoff preview. That tells you how long it's been. Because <laughs> the White Sox in the playoffs, it seems like a decade, but it actually has only been a couple of years. The one before that was addressing the trade deadline 2021. So it's been a while, uh, but we are back with Dugout Metrics. And we actually uh, lead off with breaking news. We have made a trade to bolster our pitching staff. We have dealt um, we have dealt Luke Smales. Luke Smales is not with us here. He has been traded off into the podcast universe uh, in order to acquire uh, some pitching. Uh, we need to bolster the staff because we had none, uh, unless you count me wiffleballing um, sidearm. Uh, so Malachi Hayes has now joined our dugout metrics team for his debut in number eight. Uh, not many have – you haven't missed many. <laughs> Like he's so it's good, you know. You'll catch right up with the team culture and the and the signs and all that. We'll go over that after the podcast. I have a suspicion that in a couple of days, uh, I'm negotiating right now. You know, with Luke, it's one of those you know sign and trade trade. It's like a Lucas Giolito thing. We have a chance still to resign Lucas Mails, and I have a feeling in a couple of days, because believe it or not, after two years, we are going to hit you with two dugout metrics back to back. Uh, Luke is going to join me. I'm not sure if anyone else is, but it might be just a one-on-one with Luke to discuss his series of uh, articles that he's written. One's already published. Uh, by the time uh, you see it, all three will be published, uh, running down all the college uh, draft choices for the White Sox. So that's a cool piece. Uh, the first one that we've already read, uh, pretty insightful. So that's going to be fun. If th- Again, this is all hinging on whether uh, we can come to terms. I don't know. His I think his price has gone up after getting traded. So anyhow, it is – Malachi Hayes and uh, Trevor Lines back with us. He's, you know, sometimes he's in the car. Sometimes we don't even see him. Um, you know, varying amounts of, of risks, sometimes two, one, zero. We, you know, we don't know, but uh, uh, he's with us and great to have you again. Great to see you again, uh, Trevor. So let's, uh, let's kick off and talk about this trade deadline because it was very active. It's uh, worth noting Malachi Hayes, Heroic today, writing up all three of our trade articles. Not like, you know, I hope he wasn't sweating too many bullets. Uh, after all, the Dylan Cease one would have been a, quite a gulp. But uh, hopefully um, stayed away from Carpal Tunnel just writing up those three because they're sort of straightforward. And we'll get to all of them. But uh, before we even get to the first, we're going to probably just go in chronicle, chronological order. I'd like to ask uh, both you, Trevor and Malachi, um, just generally your impression of how uh, Rick Hahn handled this um, trade deadline. I guess we can do a simple scale of better than you thought, about what you thought, or worse than you thought, but uh, just impressions of, of, of what Rick did. I would say, me personally, well, also thank you for welcoming me back on, Brett. Uh, it's been too long. We're but... traded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me personally, I would say um, as far as activity level or who was being dealt, maybe about the same as I thought, or maybe I guess the burger trade might be a little bit more active. Um, but like you mentioned off the air, Rick Hahn has always been good at getting big returns on this portion of the GM job when it comes to trading away our major league 
talent for these minor league top prospects. He always seems to do a, a really good job of that. Um, so I would say overall, um, a little bit better return than I was expecting. I personally would have liked to have seen them deal cease as well. Um, but I don't know what was out there as far as offers from some of these other teams. It just seemed like such a seller's market that he, for the most part, took pretty good advantage of. Trevor, previewing the second half of our podcast here, where we will discuss those players not traded, including, of course, Dylan C. Seems to be a lot of consternation about that one. Now, in real time, I was able to witness, I think, at least a couple of Maliki's reactions to trades. So I, I'm guessing it's a this is going to be a somewhat sunny response. But uh, curious for confirmation, Maliki, your thoughts on uh, basically how Rick uh, handled this trade deadline. Yeah, it's one of those things where I'm I'm a little bit loath to give credit, uh, just because of course he is the reason that they're yes. in a large yes. part of the reason they're in this yes. match to begin with. But um, I I don't know if there are too many things that I would have handled differently. I I was pleasantly surprised by the return that came back for Lucas Giolito. I thought that a uh, you know, history told us that getting a pretty much a consensus top fifty, top seventy five prospect, uh. For a rental player who's not a top of the rotation guy, mm -hmm. as good as he is, I, I would not have put that in the realm of possibility. So I'll give him credit there. And um, yeah, like you said, Trevor, I personally would not have predicted a Jake Berger trade. Um, very sorry to see him go. And it actually, you know, it is a little bit ironic that we get all these leaks from the front office about how, you know, we have clubhouse issues. Uh, this is the player's problem. There are attitude issues. There's no leadership. And then you go trade away whom the guy who might be the single most likable guy in, in that yeah. clubhouse. Um, yeah. th that being said, they couldn't keep him and Eloy and Andrew Vaughn on the same roster. Uh, and the fact that they got Jake Etter back, that's, that's also either Etter, I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, mm -hmm. um, is again, a little bit more than I would have anticipated. It was a seller's market. I probably would have, I would have liked them to see, to see them trade cease given the returns that those players were getting and given that his value probably doesn't go up all that much from here uh, unless he really goes on a tear to finish. Uh, but I also don't like making moves just for the sake of making moves. And if they really are dead set on trying to compete in 2024 and 2025, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as realistic or not, as it may be, if they're trying to do that, then there's nothing wrong with keeping cease. So mm -hmm. um I can't, I'm not going to complain too much about that. Okay. Let's uh, kick off with the, uh, the headliner trade. Um, and still the, you know, the biggest trade of all, there were many bigger names to be dealt unless, especially if it, if cease wasn't going anywhere. Uh, and that is the initial trade to the angels as uh, Malachi alluded, uh, a rental player, um, sort of, um, I won't say stunning, but an impressive return. Uh, because this wasn't just, okay, Angels, two two and three prospects. Uh, okay, so what? It's the Angels. Their system's not good or whatever. We're talking about, you know, a, a catcher, not just not just a, a top 50-ish or whatever prospect, but a cat, catcher at that uh, coming back. And, of course, Ronaldo's not just a, you know, he's not just a throw-in. So to get a, a, a pretty decent and promising uh, arm as well is, is not a shock. But still, this could have gone a lot worse. Um, thoughts from both of you on on how this one played out. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Malachi. <laughs> all you, all you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's tough. It's tough to see to see Lucas go. But uh, like I said, I mean, that's the best... That's the best, uh, probably the best single player that's been traded for a rental in several years. I mean, you look at some of the other... There have been much, much better players, um, you know, dealt to um, playoff hopeful teams over the past few years for um, 
very, very little returns because teams don't like plant paying at the top of the market for those guys. But, um, you know, Caro fills a need um, and is also probably the best player they were going to get for somebody of Giolito's caliber, unless they were really going to try to, you know, bid, bid the Dodgers up to somebody like Diego Cartaya or, um, um, or, or someone else who they're, who they're not going to trade. So, hmm. um, you know, assuming that he was going to be gone anyway, uh, it's, it's a good deal. There's no other way, no other way to look at it. I don't think same thing with, uh, you know, Ronaldo, a free agent at the end of the year, the Sox don't have any use for high, high leverage bullpen guys, even if they throw one one So, um, you know, we don't know what other offers were, were out there, but, um, um, but the needs were filled. So, yeah. Again, hard to complain. Trevor, your thoughts? I would agree with that. Um, on a different level, any other prospect you can receive from it. Um, we did a bit ago when he but Trevor, we got some mic. We do have some mic issues going on with you. So uh, we're going to move to the next trade while you maybe resolve that, and we're going to loop you back in. Um, just start yelling, and uh, and when I hear you clear, uh, very clear in your yelling, then uh, then I'll know you're back with yeah. us. So uh, let's just move quickly to uh, another catcher, uh, Maliki. White Sox are collecting them, and it's no shock, you know. I mean, the catching. I mean, I don't know. Since we've been fans of the White Sox, probably. In fact, that is actually somewhat true. Uh, and certainly since uh, we've been together here at Southside Sox, uh, the catching prospects haven't been great. So uh, the idea that the White Sox are targeting these types of players is not a shock to uh, flip Kendall Graveman into a guy who, you know, is a first round pick. Um, I don't think a lot of shine has, you know, um, I don't think his shine has dimmed per se, but uh, Corey Lee, what do you, what do you see in, in, in how that worked out? <clears throat> yeah, I, I said, I said in the Slack uh, a, a few days ago when there were rumors about, uh, you know, Jonathan India, when he was rumored as a potential return for, uh, for mm-hmm. Lucas Giolito and the Reds were shopping that the Sox needed to take big swings. And that's one of the things about Edgar Carroll that excites me so much is that a guy who's uh, performing at double A at, at 20, 21 years old, you know, they're not with, with a lot of variance, a guy who might not hit enough, you know, to be a regular if he doesn't stay a catcher. Um, those are the kind of high risk, high rewards moves they need to make if they're not going to like actually develop, you know, an actual farm system infra- infrastructure. So Corey Lee, you know, I, from what I've seen, it seems like people are kind of uh, split on him, uh, but, but he's a major league catcher with a, <clears throat> with a plus arm and he's a guy who can field competently at the very least. And that's not something they've had uh, very much of in recent years. And he's in the big leagues right now, more or less. I mean, not, not mm-hmm. literally, but he will be, you know, when yeah. one has to assume he'll be up pretty much the moment that uh, we get that Yasmani Grandal DFA notification, um, which, which one <laughs> has to imagine is coming sooner rather than later. So I, I can't say I know, I know a ton about Lee other than he hit for a substantial amount of power last year, albeit um, I believe in the Pacific coast league, which is, you know, very, very, power friendly to say the least you see guys putting up a lot of inflated numbers there uh but like you said at the start trevor one thing rick has always been good at is trading for name brand prospects he likes the guys who are on the top of the list they're not an organization that takes a bunch of you know 19 year olds you've never heard of and four years later they're in the big leagues pumping 99 uh so again for kendall grayman not 
just the fact that they have no use for a back-end reliever, but also you're getting that $8 million off the books. I would have taken that for a total nothing burger. So if you're getting a major league ready catcher who's at least possibly going to be a part-time player, probably good enough to be you know, an actual backup at least, uh, again, very, very hard to complain about that. Yeah. Yeah. An aspect of this Graveman thing, you are getting money off the books. It, you know, you mentioned you refer to Raylo as being uh, some sort of like luxury. Well, certainly Kendall Graveman uh, being locked into that is a, is a luxury as well. All right. We're going to give it a shot. You have an opportunity for a two for one now, uh, Trevor, to talk Giolito trade and also Kendall Graveman trade. If we can hear you, let's give it a test. All right. Uh, uh, I don't know. Still fingers crossed. The fingers crossed did not work. Um, so I don't, I don't know what to do on your end with the audio, but you are still cutting try, in and out. So try, try without the AirPods, maybe. Mm. It's a lot of crackling. I don't know. If yeah, we're getting like a crackle issue. I'm sorry about that. Hmm. Rain delay theater beginning here on the dugout metrics podcast. Um, well, Trevor, just I will throw my two cents in. I will say that mm-hmm. I was probably at least slightly pleasantly surprised at the returns. I don't know what I was expecting, knowing that this, you know, as Trevor said right off, that this is the um, the strength. If there's a strength of Rick Hahn, uh, that he, you know, comes comes through in, in this way. And, and I mean, I think he has, I think, enough credit due. Under the umbrella of why are we here? It's 2023. How in the world are we talking about selling? But that, I mean, we don't really have to say that in this podcast, I don't think. That's a given that we should not be having this discussion. We should be talking about acquisitions made by a playoff contending or aspiring team, not the opposite. So that part is sickening. So that's the premise here. We already know we've already gone past that because we could just complain. And I think every podcast has actually complained about why we're not in the position to contend uh, now for probably a year and a half. So uh, that said, you know, okay, now we got to we got to do we can't scrape ourselves back up closer. Uh, Trevor, we will give you another try to discuss trades at some point because after all, that's what we have signed you for. So uh, let's have let's give it a shot. Yes, you can. Okay, awesome. All right, maybe it was the AirPods. You're back. Basically, um, yeah, the the Corey Lee at minimum is likely going to be a good bridge to Kiro uh, during this time. Kind of see what you have there. Um, like Malachi said, it's going to be um, a good catcher. This is absolutely crazy, Trevor. We heard you for a moment, and now the same thing is happening. And so I'm very sorry. I know this is frustrating with the technical difficulties, but we did hear you for about three sentences, and then Two. the same oh. sort of thing happened. Now you're back. Okay. I think. I guess when I, whenever I get talking, it starts cutting out. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, it's some kind of crackling that takes over and yeah. cuts you out. Oh. It doesn't seem to be there anymore. I'll just start interrupting you. And when I interrupt you, Trevor, you'll know, okay, I got okay. to let the system cool down. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it'll be a good bridge to Kiro at minimum. He's got some power. We'll see what the back can do. Um, and Kiro, like I was trying to mention, I think that's on another level compared to any other prospect that we received in – any of these deals, um, a 20 year old start of the season at age 19 in double a, uh, for reference, Colson Montgomery, who absolutely put himself on the map last year. Um, that was his age 19 and 20 season. He 
just got up to double A at the very end of that stellar year and struggled in double A versus Kiro in that same season age wise. He started the season in double A and is putting up a league average line offensively. Uh, defensively, seems to be fringy, whether he can stick behind the plate. By all accounts, his framing uh, hasn't been graded as very good so far. Um, but A, you can work on that. And B, who knows, by the time he gets to the big leagues, the challenge system may be in place already. Yeah. I mean, might not really be, even be a big part of it. Yeah. Um, I just saw him throw someone out on Twitter today. So if <laughs> yeah, he's got I a decent that. enough arm and the framing doesn't really matter anymore, then and, and the bat plays, we could have a star on our hand. It's about time Rick Hahn is ahead of the game. So let's just say Rick Hahn's ahead of the game, and he knows framing don't matter anymore. No more, no more James McCanns. Um, all right, let's move to our next trade, which is I, I find a delightful one, uh, and it's with the Dodgers. Um, I don't know. We always, I guess, we thought Giolito was headed to the Dodgers. Instead, the Dodgers took on Lance Lynn, and now I finally realize why we had to trade. Luke Smales and why he did not show up to this podcast is because we're going to call him on the carpet about Joe Kelly. I love you, Luke. Please come back. But yeah, now we can all just bag on Joe Kelly. Anyhow, uh, those two veterans who I'm sure will both throw 110 miles an hour in their first outings. I think Joe Kelly already has. Uh, but for a couple, I mean, Tracy Thompson, okay, but uh, a couple arms. So I think, you know, people, might be sleeping on a little bit. Um, uh, I'm I'm pretty impressed with this return again, given the fact that we shouldn't be trading our uh, frontline guys because they should be better players. But uh, you you two and your thoughts on this Dodgers trade? To me, these two guys are like your classic Dodger prototype pitchers. They're the guys with the big high spin fastballs um, and. The Dodgers have been really good at developing those pitchers into being able to command them a little bit better and polish them off a little bit more. Um, so we'll see what the White Sox can do with it. Historically, that hasn't really been a strength. Um, but they have the the big fastballs that I mentioned. They have big stuff. And it's just with both of them, um, probably Nestrini more than uh, Leisure, it's, it's going to be a question of whether they can start to – polish that off with some other pitches and start to command those pitches better, throw enough strikes to stick as a starter. Leisure at this point is most likely topping out as a, a back-end reliever at best. Um, but both of them, like I said, the, the big fastball is kind of the calling card, it seems like. Yeah, Leisure, Leisure, well, believe me, we'll learn to pronounce all of your names, spell them all correctly, get the uh, correct diacritics uh, ASAP. But he's already in AAA. I mean, he's a guy who I thought when they acquired him could even see the south side this summer. Not that we're going to – we need to rush these guys up. But, well, that's also what the White Sox do. Uh, Maliki, your thoughts on the Dodgers trade? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty small sample, but you can definitely see a bit of an MO in terms of the type of um, the type of pitching prospects that Rick was looking for and Rick was, was targeting. I think Kai Bush kind of falls into the a similar category. You know, he doesn't have the big velocity that Nestrini or, or Leisure, who – has huge velocity uh does but they're throwing a lot of shit at the wall it's you know take take three or four pitchers who um you know maybe have a 20 or 30 shot of being 20 or 30 percent shot of being starters in the big leagues you know got to develop a third pitch got to throw enough strikes um got to do all this stuff and you know if one of them sticks and you get a two or three starter out of this deadline great that's a pretty good job honestly uh this one you know the nestrini leisure leisure um 
combination <laughs> and it makes me a little bit more nervous because like you said like you said trevor nastrini is just a classic dodgers pick he had like thoracic outlet i want to say in in high school i'm not sure if he's had tj but um i don't i don't know think he pitched a ton in college and he's a guy who the dodgers molded him essentially i mean he wouldn't have been if he had been able to put all the stuff together himself he would have been gone a lot higher than than the end of the fourth round um, when he did and whether uh the white Sox can continue that developmental path you know the results haven't totally been there uh the last year or two for, for Nostrini is running ERA around four with big strikeout numbers and, and at walk numbers. And, you know, whether the Sox are the team that can get him <laughs> to finished product mode, that makes me a little bit more, more, more nervous than in the situation with someone like, you know, Caro, where uh, if you're a good enough hitter, you're, you're going to hit in the big leagues probably. And um, pitching is, you know, requires a lot more of right place, right time, right coaches. Cause there's a lot of guys with good stuff out there. So um, I, for a guy who had a six and a half ERA and Joe Kelly, it's a, you know, very solid, very solid return. But um, as one would imagine from the guys being traded there, um, there, there's a reason they were being, the yeah. Dodgers were comfortable trading them for a guy with a six and a half ERA. Yeah. Malky brings up a good point, and that is you do have to factor in the White Sox coefficient, which is you take the 80-grade prospect, and you got you got to throw that multiplier in, which takes them down to, I don't know, a 55 or 60, which is unfortunate, but that is the reality. So you do you got to aim high for your, your, your Rick Hahn. Uh, okay, moving on to trades from today, and uh, Malachi, Malachi is uh, very intimately familiar with these because he uh, – he uh, towed the uh, he carried the mail for us uh, today in writing uh, writing these up. Uh, first, I believe is the I guess the, the the one shocker I suppose the one shocker if you want to call trading a, a, a DH and a, an, an affable DH uh, a shocker. But uh, Jake for Jake, um, you sort of got to like the arm coming back, especially given the fact that there's only so much room. I mean, he's <laughs> he's starting at second base, but. However, he should not be starting at second base. So again, we got to do the White Sox coefficient there. Uh, but uh, seems to be, surprise or not, uh, a decent cash out of a guy having a, 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 an oddly uh, Joey Gallo historic uh, type season. Um, thoughts on this strange uh, uh, Jake Drake uh, trade from you two? Oh, Trevor, you're, you're muted, muted now. We are anxiously awaiting what Trevor has to say, but now he is yeah. uh, um, muted himself. All right, wow. there. Wow. Okay, gotcha. we we're gonna we're gonna kick it back to Malachi while, and then just scream, uh, just keep screaming, and when we hear you scream, we'll know to kick it back to uh, Trevor. But you wrote this one up, Malachi, and. Um, you know, I'm sure you expressed yourself well in that piece, but uh, summarize for us for folks who do not want to read and instead just want to listen. Yeah, this is pure roster math uh, on both ends. There's, you know, Jake Berger is a, a good hitter, uh, but he's ultimately a one-dimensional hitter. And uh, there's not a lot that he does realistically that you can't get from, you know, Eloy Jimenez at least. And like mm -hmm. it or not, you're invested in Andrew Vaughn and his upside is a much better hitter than what Jake Berger's giving you, giving you right now. They're playing him at second base. I mean, the, what, you just can't, there's, there's just no room. And you got guys like Lenin Sosa, you know, rotting down in triple yeah. a where you need to see 
you need to see, you know, what, what you can get out of in these last couple months. And, uh, yeah. and on the other hand, you have, you know, the, the Marlins who are pretty, pretty bloody rich in, in pitching and uh, don't necessarily need a guy like, like Edder, who I personally loved coming out of Vandy. There's a lot of pedigree there. And, you know, there's, if you're a left-hander and you can run it up to 95, 96 as a starter with any kind of consistency, you will stick as a starter in the big league. Mm. So, um, you know, he's got a pretty decent slider and uh, the reports, I haven't seen anything since, but from what I've read when he was, um, you know, it seemed to be developing a nice feel for a changeup before he went down with uh, uh, Tommy John a couple of years ago. So he, he's a guy who might have the highest ceiling of anybody um, on the, not probably does have the highest ceiling of anybody they acquired on on the pitching side and you know at the end of the day if you can get a potential two three starter for a relatively one-dimensional not even a three true outcomes hitter he's a two outcome hitter because he doesn't walk all that much and you know i i love him and i wish him well but the it's a very very thin line with hitters between you know being a solid dh and being out of the league because you can't hit 190 and you're not Mm -hmm. hitting enough to make up for it you know so Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that's selling high, and yeah. I'm a little surprised they pulled the trigger on that. But it was a need for a need. It was good roster math, and um, yeah, they. I'm 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 pretty glad they got this one done. I'm a and lot less allude- about Lenin Sosa and Jose Rodriguez and and Double A and Triple A now because watching watching their numbers pile up while while we mm-hmm. have the major league roster constructed as we do is just yeah infuriating. <laughs> yeah, and as alluded to at the top, uh, c- clearly with decisions made, um, oh gosh, even last year with roster construction, clearly having good guys, um, good personalities, potential leaders in this clubhouse right now is not of top importance to the White Sox. So shedding Jake Berger, who does seem to provide just a little bit of levity, a little bit of joy of the game, Inject into forced into this roster just doesn't seem to matter right now to the White Sox, however much it should. Uh, Trevor, you are back, and we're hoping to hear from you. Uh, thoughts on the Jake for Jake? Yeah, it was an interesting one. Like I mentioned off the top, uh, I wasn't expecting Berger to get dealt, uh, but it does make a lot of sense. They they have a guy in Eloy, they have a guy in Vaughn that they really are kind of positionless guys that aren't really contributing much on the defensive end. Um, and Berger was another one of those guys, despite being the one of the three of those yeah. that was really producing the most at the plate, especially power wise. Um, but then you also have Mancata who's tied up with one of the worst contracts in baseball for, for what we've gotten out of him. Uh, it would be nice if you could just hand the keys to third base over to Berger, but with Mancata there, there's really no way to do that. So you're getting back a, a solid back end of the top 100 type prospect. Um, he jumped up on Baseball America's midseason rankings a little bit. Uh, he's, he was the number two prospect in the Marlins system. I saw a lot of uh, people originally kind of looking at the MLB pipeline preseason rankings, and he was number nine in the Marlins system and kind of wondering, especially when you are trading away a fan favorite, you're going to get a little pushback, but it seems like a good prospect. Um, just reading up on him a little bit, the the guys at Fangraphs had him as the 54 ranked prospect in baseball in their May update, and um, his stuff once he got back out on the mound seems to have ticked uh, down a little bit since then. Obviously, he's coming off Tommy John's, but uh, Tommy John lost a, a couple miles an hour. And uh, his arm angle dropped a little bit, which um, has also created a little less ride on his fastball, according to those guys. 
Um, so we'll see if the White Sox can kind of get that back. Uh, based on some video that I watched, he looked like his slider was kind of his out pitch, especially to left-handed hitters. Really good slider from the left side that he, he got maybe, you know, seven strikeouts on in one outing out of, you know, eight or nine total. Uh, so that pitch seems to still be there. Uh, it's probably going to be a matter of if the fastball is able to kind of play enough in, in the big leagues or take a step forward. Uh, and let's wind it up with sort of a combo of uh, the final two tra- transactions today, which one is just sending money to the Rays, who in a 180-degree uh, contrast to the White Sox have are just bursting with so many players that, you know, as uh, Malachi pointed out, rather than just have to let this guy go for free or whatever the waiver claim fee might be going back to a team, actually sold to whatever undisclosed amount to the White Sox of uh, uh, Luis uh, Patino. And then, of course, uh, uh, Keenan Middleton, um, sort of out of nowhere, actually really short of a, just the last few outings for him, having a, a beyond a good but a dynamite uh, relief season, uh, flipping him to the last place Yankees, who strangely enough are still very much in the thick of the playoff hunt, sent him to the last place. I'm going to keep saying last place Yankees. It makes me happy um, for uh, a, a high a arm who's actually sort of intriguing as well. Um, thoughts on uh, Juan Carella, uh, Luis Patino, or just, you know, the idea that the Sox are stockpiling arms that just haven't really been able to, to draft and keep uh, consistently because some of the brightest names in the system, you know, have taken steps back or been injured this year. So White Sox do just need to keep calling more arms in. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, they need to take big swings, and these are the kind of moves they need to be make. I mean, Keenan Middleton was about to be a free agent. Juan Carella is uh, nothing of note. I think the only prospect list he appeared on was uh, in the back end of the Yankees' top 30 in the MLB pipeline list, which also hasn't been updated since uh, February or March or or whenever. Uh, but there were some you know, whispers about him being a potential guy last year. He had, he, he had some nice numbers. He's got some nice stuff, and... Um, you know, he's in a ball right now. So he's 21 years old. So, um, you know, God knows what happens, but if you're getting that for a, you know, guy who you signed to a minor league contract in May, then, then that's just fine. I I am personally, am, you know, pretty excited about picking up Luis Patino for basically nothing. I mean, there's a little bit of, um, you know, prospect luster still there. His stuff has definitely ticked down a bit since he's, uh, been hurt for a couple of years, but again, those are the kind of risks that the Sox need to take, you know, they one one of the reasons they're in this position here is that you see all the time got teams like the Dodgers and the Rays and the model organizations are picking up the fringe forty man guys from other teams who are kind of getting pushed off rosters, uh, who they see something in and then they turn them into something. Uh, the White Sox don't really make a lot of those moves. They're not claiming players on waivers. They're not mostly, you know, picking up players for cash considerations. They're usually the team trading players for cash consideration. <laughs> uh, so, you know, taking taking a flyer on a guy like Patino and getting Keenan Middleton for something that you, uh, you know, essentially paid nothing for and weren't going to get any use out of the rest of the year, those are, those are fine moves. Are they likely to be difference makers at any point in the future? Probably not. Uh, but those are the darts you need to throw when you're an organization that doesn't develop particularly. Uh, so it's a pretty, I mean, it's the same, it is the same process essentially that got them Gregory Santos, you know, Patino, mm-hmm. 
um, is probably a, not a guy who's getting traded for cash considerations if he's on most organizations, most other teams, but the Rays are just so good at developing players. They are kind of in this constant state of 40-man roster crunch. And, uh, you know, if they had designated him for assignment, he almost certainly would have been claimed on waivers. So, again, uh, credit where it's due. Uh, Rick jumped the market on that and hopefully gets something out of it. It worked, mm-hmm. it worked with Santos, so. And, and see, Malky, we always we complained. We complained for years about the White Sox trading their international money, just trading away instead of using it. We'll see now. Rick is he's reclaiming some of his international money. He's taking it in a very strange way. He just wants to see. He just wants to see things play out a little bit more. He wants to feel a little bit more secure, and then he'll give the money for the international prospects. So you know, again, maybe he's just one step ahead of us, or maybe he's one step out the door as GM. But that's a whole nother different podcast. Uh, Trevor, um, these sort of like um, you know, just sort of finishing up, dotting some eyes uh, moves though. But uh, you echo the fact that just bringing in arms is what's necessary here with the White Sox. Yeah, I uh, don't know who to give credit to. I forget who it was on Twitter that I saw today, but I was cracking up. Someone said um, after the Patino move, uh, now I finally know what Rick Hahn meant when he said the money will be spent. And I was just, I was just, I couldn't believe it. That was, that was creative, whoever that was, getting uh, Patino for cash. Um, missed out on Bryce Harper, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. um, I mean, if, if the roles were reversed and Patino was getting claimed or getting picked up or traded for cash from the White Sox to the Rays, you could pencil him in for a three ERA uh, out of the bullpen for him. But vice versa. I mean, like Malachi said, we're not giving anything up. Um, so it's a nice dart throw. I don't really have the highest of hopes for it working out. Uh, I watched one of Juan Carrera's uh, starts on YouTube, just kind of a sped up version of it. It looked like 60 to 70% sliders. Uh, he's put up good numbers the past couple of years and he has a high spin breaking ball. That's kind of his, uh, his calling card. Uh, probably one of those guys that's more of a, a supinator kind of gets around the ball and probably doesn't have the best carry to his fastball, uh, but can really spin it. So I mean, I could see him ending up as a piece in the future as someone out of the pen. You know, you, you get those guys out of the pen that are flipping in 70% sliders, but the slider's so good that it still plays. I think that's kind of the, the ceiling that we're hoping for out of this. But um, but we'll see. Uh, who knows? He's put up some pretty good numbers for the for the Yankees in, in the minors. Let me translate the, the the front part of what Trevor said, because that's my job here, not to actually provide insight, but to translate. And that and what Trevor's saying is if you have Jake Diekman, you don't really need a Luis Patina any longer. So, you know, I mean, let's face it, Rays are just, you know, they're just making their choices. They're making their moves. Hey, we're going to take a break. We're going to talk about some trades maybe that weren't made. Talk a little bit more about Rick Hahn. Uh, we, we'll talk about some stuff. We'll talk about Luke's mails, whether we're going to be able to attract him back to dugout metrics. But give us a minute. Fans for First Sports Network is going to sell you something. Please consider buying it because I'm sure it's good stuff. Slap chop, something cool, a mop or something, or I don't know, probably gambling. All right, just listen to it. Sorry, you got no choice. On YouTube, it'll just be like this. We'll be right back. Okay, so uh, hold on for a minute. We'll be back. Hey, White Sox fans, it is dugout metrics number eight. I'm Brett Palantini, your host. And it's been a while. I think if you listen to the first part, I don't know why you skipped to the second part. So you obviously listened to the first part, but somehow you didn't because the first part's boring because I'm talking or whatever. Okay, well, well, yeah, exactly. Come on. Now Trevor's with us. We're feeling really confident we can hear him. His mic under control. 
Yes, the mic situation. Yes, I mean, again, we're just out of practice here with dugout metrics. It's been like a couple of years. So let me just review the premise. The premise is, and this was back in the Luke's mail days when he was back on our team. And, you know, we're, we're trying right now as we're doing this podcast. I am texting contract negotiations with him, so we do hope to have him back within just a couple of days. Getting right back in the fold, but with uh, the case of uh, both Trevor and Luke guys who had just, uh, Luke might have been even just winding up his actual playing career as he was starting with us, but certainly was uh, fresh from playing at uh, left field, middle infielder Trevor Lines. Uh, so the premise was both of these guys were uh, uh, sort of analytical uh, writers, had written up really great stuff. I think in both cases, at least Trevor's case, I think I saw some uh, fan post type of thing. I was like, hey, wait a minute, why is this in the fan post? This needs to be in the uh, the big boy post. So let's get you up uh, above the fold. And so uh, we did that. The premise here then, of course, is guys who played, guys who also sort of are taking that analytical approach uh, to the game as well, sort of marrying that. Uh, and again, I think even the initial pitch I made with Trevor and Luke was, hey, you know, you guys have played. That's why we're going to, you know, we're going to call it dugout because you're in the dugout. You're, you're, you're dodging. I guess not tobacco stains anymore. You can't chew tobacco. Can you? And the great news is here, like two years later, because, you know, we finally, you know, in an allusion to Rick, we finally have more money. And I trust me, when I get the money, I spend it immediately. We don't sit on any money here at Southside Sox and Sox Populi. Uh, so, of course, got to go out. We need pitching. So I got to go out, get some pitching. So, uh, you know, we are celebrating the addition of Malachi Hayes, um, you know, we got to get his, we do have to get his, his shoulder back in shape. We got to get, I mean, we got to stretch him out. I think he's good for a batter or two right now. We got to stretch him out because we got nobody, you know, I, I can't do it. So, uh, you know, but we'll talk about that again. That's, that's post podcast stuff, but uh, let's jump back into it and talk about um, what didn't happen. Uh, it seemed like the drumbeat of trading Dylan Cease grew louder and louder. I guess part of that is fair because people saw that, okay, the White Sox are, rebuilding, reloading, you know, whatever we're, 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 we're looking between, we're not even looking at the lines of what Rickon's saying. We're seeing the roster ourselves and saying, okay, this is looking at least like some sort of mini rebuild. I guess you can try to call it a restock. Uh, and, and the guys they're getting aren't, aren't like uh, in the DSL or low A. So, okay, I guess we can buy the restock to a degree. So I imagine that would wet appetite uh, for Dylan cease to be moved as well. Cause it does seem like he might have a lonely year as the only starter on the White Sox next year. But uh, at the same time, he's he's still controllable. He's still a young guy. He's coming off of a six-war season. Uh, people are talking about it being a seller's market and, you know, okay. But, I mean, he's not at his – he personally is not at his height as a pitcher. So, beginning with Dylan Cease, we'll talk about a couple other names as well. But beginning with Dylan Cease, uh, I think both of you have already admitted you're perhaps maybe a little surprised he wasn't moved or it didn't get a little bit more serious. But uh, – Thoughts about Dylan sticking? Should he have gone? Were you really convinced he should be gone? This is a scenario where, you know, when you're talking about two and a half years of, of team control left, you don't make a deal just for the sake of making a deal. Like I said earlier, especially if they do have actual designs on competing next year. You know, if we get to a similar position a year from now where they're also mm -hmm. out of contention yeah. and a deal isn't being made, then you're kind of like, okay, uh, what are we doing here? Based on the reports and, you know, the news that was leaking out, it really seemed like this was just a game of, of Rick Hahn playing chicken with Mike Elias and the Baltimore Orioles. <clears throat> mm -hmm. 
And uh, they love their prospects, you know, as much as, you know, fans love to, to bandit about Jackson Holiday was even even if a trade got made, Jackson Holiday was never going to be involved in that. Uh, it is a little surprising given the needs of some teams like yeah. Baltimore and Cincinnati yes. uh, who are pretty loaded uh, with with hitting prospects at the very least kind of standing pad and. You know, Jack Flaherty is nice, but if he's your playoff number one star, then, you know, you're probably only you're probably not playing a second round, you know. So uh, if they weren't going to meet the asking price on Dylan Cease, this is still the guy who finished second in Cy Young voting last year. And if you trade him uh, just for the sake of trading him for an underwhelming package um, and then he goes out and has another Cy Young year next year while you're trying to compete, it's just it's a bad look and uh, it's not a risk worth taking unless you're really, you know, sure of what you're getting uh, because you're trading a very good pitcher who's going to be around for a couple of years. So it's again, this is kind of situation where if Rick had his price, I think you said this earlier in, in the Slack, Brett, if, if Rick had his price and it wasn't met, uh, then, then so be it. If there's one thing Rick Hahn is good at, it is getting face value for his stars. Um, so, if he felt like that deal wasn't worth making, probably wasn't worth making. Um, as much as I, again, you know, hate to hate to act like they uh, <laughs> they really have earned the benefit of the doubt here, uh, but it's not it's not something I'm stressing over. You know, okay. Uh, Rick Hahn fanboy uh, Malachi Hayes just pitched that one to you, uh, Trevor. So take a swing and uh, your thoughts on um, Dylan Cease remaining a White Sox player. Yeah, um, I would have loved to have gotten something done with the Orioles. They are just absolutely loaded. I'm guessing that from from some of the stuff I heard, it sounded like maybe Kowser is is who Han really wanted, and uh, maybe you know one or two other of their top guys. Um, and Elias wasn't willing to uh, meet that asking price, which he's been known to be stingy with prospects and. If I was an Orioles fan, like we were talking about, I would uh, I would have been very underwhelmed. And as someone who put a preseason bet on the Orioles to win the World Series, I was very <laughs> underwhelmed. A little bit more there. Um, but um, I, I would have been even happy if we didn't get Kowser, but got maybe three of their top, you know, top seven or eight guys. I would have been more than happy to pull the trigger on that. But we're all speculating. No one really knows what the, the the talkings were around and I had heard rumblings that the the Dodgers may have been making a push for it to happen I even heard the Diamondbacks which um, I would have loved to have gotten my college teammate Brandon fought on the White Sox but I, I think it would have taken maybe him and Lawler and and that was never going to happen um, so I'm guessing just no one met Han's asking price and he didn't really have a reason to uh to you know i guess call their bluff so um nothing ended up happening and i guess we'll revisit at the winter meetings yeah it's still just a 26-man roster uh it's great to have those prospects but they're not they aren't going to help you in october and that's not an excuse to 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 clear the cupboard um you know just to go after dylan cease and his you know two war or whatever and his down year but uh, it's interesting that of several teams, this, we're not just focused. I mean, Orioles was the focus, but you know, you, you, you both ran out three, four, five other teams. I mean, 
this this was a competitive market that that no and I mean unless we find out that Rickon pulled a Mike Rizzo and just like kept moving the bar and said oh okay you agree to well, now I've decided I want another guy I want one more guy you know but I don't think that's the way Rickon you know again not to be fanboy myself either but I don't think he necessarily plays that way because when people do it to you and you don't like it you shouldn't do it to other people uh but it'll be interesting to get maybe some some stories it would be interesting to have a tangible offer that was rejected by the white Sox. not that that necessarily will ever come come out in a way that we can trust but it would be pretty interesting to find out because then some of the 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 caterwauling over the fact that dylan cease is still in the white Sox makes a little bit more sense if it's a great package that rick passed up just because because he thinks now he can just extort uh something tells me yeah he didn't he just didn't have his price met uh, as alluded to in this little ticker thing, uh, there are a couple names that came up. We mentioned Yasmani, Immovable, uh, our redacted starter, um, who might also just in a more of a moral sense be immovable, but oh, with 30 major league base, 29 other major league baseball teams, I doubt it. Uh, really even Eloy, you know, who knows? Uh, were there any other, were there players on the White Sox who didn't get moved that you thought there'd be more talk about or who might even have, have gotten moved and didn't? I'm sure there was in some interest in Aaron Bummer. Um, I guess that maybe lends some credence to what Han is saying, that they're planning on competing in 2024. I don't know how they're planning on doing that with Jerry Reinsdorf <laughs> as the owner. Um, but I would have thought that, you know, if we are going full sale, rebuild, um, and look to 2025, which is what I would do, you would think some of those guys like an Aaron Bummer uh, might have been a, a great trade target for one of these contending teams that needs some bullpen help, especially the more analytical-minded teams that are going to look past the surface stats. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd be saving some pennies in the couch cushions there because, you know, he's not he's not paid a lot, but he's, you know, he's also not paid minimum like basically 90% of the team is now. So, uh, yeah, I guess that is surprising. Uh, Maliki, other names that may have not popped up? Yeah, I, I can't say I'm terribly surprised at anybody who didn't move with, you know, with what you guys to add on to what you all just said about Cease. Um, I, I think there might have been some, and this probably goes for other other players who weren't traded as well. I think there were some uh, possible just like fit issues with the teams that were the likely targets. If you're going to trade Cease, you need to get a major league ready pitcher back and probably a fairly good one. Uh, the, you know, and none of the teams with the exception of maybe the Dodgers who have about 15 pitching injuries themselves really had the ammo to make that, make that happen on top of what else on the position side they're going to ask for. Uh, there was a lot, a lot of smoke around Tim Anderson uh, that wound up not coming to fruition. I personally was just never buying that. Um, at all. They have been pretty, you know, you can, whether we believe it or not, uh, the reports about competing, trying to compete for next year have been pretty constant through the entire trade system. And if you're trying to compete next year, uh, Tim Anderson, trading Tim Anderson at a low point in his value with a $14 million option next year, uh, and Colson Montgomery is still probably at least two years away. I just never made, never made any sense. Um, you know, you could take offers on a lawyer. You're probably not going to get anything that's going to make it worth trading his upside. Mm-hmm. Um, a bummer, a similar thing where you're you're selling at a low point in his value where there's a lot of teams that are going to both look at the FIP and look at um, how he pitches and uh, look at the last 
gestures at however many years of White Sox infield defense, you know, and say that's a guy who is just <laughs> waiting to waiting to put up a 170 ERA on a 75% ground ball rate. Uh, but again, when you got a 650 ERA, there's only a few teams who are going to you know trade anything yeah. of substance to take on that risk. So that's not again, I'm not super surprised that there wasn't there wasn't much moving there. Uh, I don't know. I take it at face value that they're actually going to try to compete next year. I mean, mm-hmm. they could compete if they want to go and spend $75 million on free agents. Like you said, is, is that going to happen? God only knows, probably not. Uh, yeah. But they have been pretty constant on saying that they are going to try one way or another. And I don't see too many other players on the roster who were not moved uh, that are going to do it. I mean, there, there were reports that they shopped Clevenger and, there was no interest whatsoever. Um, the unfortunate thing is that in you know professional sports, if you're good enough, you can get away with a lot of shit. Um, it seems like that nobody wants to take on that baggage or had any remote interest. I mean, we didn't even hear any whispers about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So again, not not terribly surprising. Uh, I don't yeah. think. And Grandal is a, you know a sunk cost. If you're, why would you trade him when he's going to be DFA of the week? <laughs> why would yeah. you give up? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And let's not forget Tim Anderson, you know, as much as we may, may have legitimate fears that he has, he, that he's fallen off a cliff, that, that this could be it for, you know, this could be it for him at, at 30. Uh, this is the first year he's, he's just not, I mean, the White Sox have enjoyed an enormous surplus value from Tim Anderson. And even this year, it wouldn't have taken, it wouldn't have taken a typical year for him to pretty much warrant him being paid, being on the roster. The idea that there's no chance of him coming back during this compete in 2024 season uh, and and not you know warrant you know even the 14 million dollar option is I mean that that's a stretch I mean if it's if he's done he's done but I mean you, you'd probably have to say chances are he's not and 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 therefore he would he would you know warrant the pay warrant being on the team warrant being a leader or not in Steve Stone's eyes whatever uh so yeah uh, boy it's just shocking that that a guy who's carrying tool is incredible contact ability and back control suddenly falls off a cliff when he spends two months playing with a clearly injured shoulder. <laughs> Shocking. Shocking. Fair point. Three fifty since the all-star break, right? you know? So yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll, he'll be on the team next year and I'm, I'm pretty glad for it personally. I don't think you're getting, you're not getting any better options for $14 million. Yeah. Yeah. And Trevor, not to keep playing up the fact that you are still waiting to be 100% and be able to swing that bat again, but to be honest and and hopefully to make light of what's been a challenging situation for you, this might be your last chance to see actual time with the White Sox. They really love the one-armed guys and so or the one-shouldered guys, so you might be, you know, if they're having any sort of like just like a showcase, you know, while you're taking a little time off, you know, consider it because it really is becoming, unfortunately, characteristic of this team to run guys out hurt, to not IL them with any sort of haste or urgency or accuracy or paying attention to the games on the field. So, you know, I, I hate that that's your opening, but, you know, you, you, when it's there, you take it. So, yeah, I don't know if anyone had the uh, ability to empathize, empathize, empathize. There we go. <laughs> empathize as much with Luis Robert last year when they were forcing him to go out there with the left wrist injury as I did. I was like, you cannot swing a bat mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, clearly he couldn't. Uh, but mm-hmm. Alex, Kirill- a- Alex Kirilov with the uh, Twins, same exact procedure that I'm probably going to be uh, having. So he has had a little bit of a breakout. I think he was the AL player of the month this past month. So, uh, hey, that gives me some hope. I DM'd okay. him on Instagram. 
Instagram, asked him about his recovery process. No response. So, mm. well, he was your Sox fan. I mean, come on, you're a Sox fan. He's not gonna. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Jeez. That's it. Just give me another reason to hate the Twins. Well, the 29 other teams will be interested in you once you're you're patched up. I'm afraid to say, Trevor, the White Sox, what your time is patched. The White Sox will not be because you will actually you will pass your physical. So, um, yeah. that that's unfortunately uh, a no go. And then to think, guys, not that we want to get into a whole other podcast, but then to think, just six months later, your brand new manager who whose greatest skill is communication is calling you out for not hustling, calling you out while you're being hurt to the point where you're calling up to the press box to report that you're benching Luis Robert because he's, he's, he's dogging it. Boy, this organization. Mm. Okay. Um, let's get back to Rick Hahn because we know all three of us are fanboys at this point. Um, but uh, to circle back um, and ask the question that I asked at the top in a different way, Give me a grade for Rick Hahn, one to ten. How do you think he did with this, with what he did? Not what he could have done, or not not. Let's not penalize him for the fact that we shouldn't be talking about selling because then he gets, of course, he gets a negative fifty-eight. But on a scale of one to ten, uh, how did he do? Uh, Trevor, tell me first. It's just tough because ideally, from someone from the outside looking in, if you were to come in there as GM right now, I think as I mentioned that the best move is to clean house and to reset for 2025 as someone in Rick Hahn's position, who's already been through a complete disaster of a rebuild. You don't know. You may, I mean, I'm guessing I would hope that he feels like there's a little heat on his seat. And so if I'm in his shoes, I, I may be in that ballpark where I have to kind of try to compete in 2024. So I can see where he's coming from with not doing the full scale rebuild, even though I do think it's an uphill battle. And as I mentioned, with the with the rental type guys that he was able to sell for the most part, he, that is what he excels at typically. Uh, and I think he got good value for him. So low marks because he he's, he 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 doesn't even he may not have the job security to do actually the proper thing. But given the restrictions that he's well, I guess he gave himself <laughs> and maybe Jerry because Jerry doesn't want to do a rebuild because he's almost dead or whatever. Uh, but based on that, he's he's what, like a, a seven or eight or something out of 10 that, you know, he, he acquitted himself pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I would say this deadline, I'd give it probably a six to seven out of 10. All right. OK. He, Trevor's not giving it away. He's back, but he's not giving it away. Uh, OK, Maliki, uh, any sunnier than that? Well, what's what's your thought about how it'll um, yeah, I was going to go somewhere around like a 7.5. Uh, you know, there's, there's nothing spectacular there, uh, especially since the Sox don't have the kind of, um, you know, organizational structure where you can look at a guy and say, oh, he's got these traits. I'm sure they'll coach him up in this and he'll be in the big leagues in a couple of years. Uh, that being said, you know, you take moves like getting, getting a legitimate major league catcher for Kendall Graveman, who was going to provide absolutely nothing in the way of, of surplus value, nor did they need it. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a good move. I think if you have the Dodgers, uh, you know, giving up some of their better prospects who they can, you know, afford to afford to lose for somebody like Lance Lynn, whose performance is just not there. Um, I'll, I'll give him credit for, for, for doing that. And, um, you know, getting some high upside lottery tickets in, and Corella and, and Patino, it's really nothing spectacular. And there's not a lot of um, acute hope in the sense that you could point at a guy and say, I really like what they got in this guy. I think they'll do this with them. Uh, but given the cards that he dealt himself, 
Um, I think he played them. I think he played them fairly well. There's a, quite a few fan bases out there, both buying and selling, who are very viscerally displeased with their front offices, um, you know, activity or lack thereof. But uh, it was it was a seller's market, and I think I think you know a lot of it's going to depend on the moves they make over the next um, you know seven eight months or so. But I think Han played his cards pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this is his high point. It's, it's only going to go down from here because we're if we're waiting on the next six or seven months. We know it's not going to get better. We know it's probably going to get a lot worse. And don't you dare bring Redacted back for next year. Um, okay, uh, speed rounds with Rick Hahn are pretty fun. Um, and I believe the last one we had was asking folks to predict. And we did this in a couple different phases. And, and Matthew ended up being the only one who agreed with me. Uh, and that, of course, was whether or not Rick Hahn would get uh, better than a mid 40s pick, like the draft pick, the qualifying offer draft pick would be next year. If he just didn't trade Lucas Gilo, would he, Giolito, would he do better in trade? Would he get more than that? Or would it be just best if he didn't do a thing, kept his hands tied and just took that pick? I think it's turned out, I think it's turned out pretty clearly he did better than that. Malky did agree uh, with me uh, in a subsequent podcast. Um, so we clearly are the two um, geniuses of Southside Sox. No offense to Trevor, but yet he can be our, the third genius. Uh, we're all here now, and we're on dugout, dugout metrics. This is where we're supposed to be. This is where the this is where the high IQ people at um, the Fans First Sports Network uh, hang out. But let's do another one, which is going to be a lot less concrete, uh, and it's probably going to be more hopeful. But we did get some comments coming right out of the trade deadline, and let's face it, the earlier comments from Rick were. A little crabby. He was a little short-tempered when talking about the initial batch of picks, uh, uh, the Carroll trade, uh, the trade with uh, um, uh, also Houston, I think. Uh, He was a little prickly. Um, I'm not sure if prickly was what he was today, but there was at least some hope among our staff discussion that there were some signals that perhaps he didn't think he was maybe necessarily going to be around. Uh, I would never read that into Rick Hahn, but I will say Uh, Is there any chance, whether signaled by what he had to say today or or his tone or just his track record, that Rick Hahn, because we know Rick uh, Jerry will not do anything to him. He'll only promote him. uh, Is there any chance? Give me the odds. Give me the chance. uh, Good, good time to put in another, you know, betting plug. uh, Trevor, give me the odds of of Rick Hahn actually step actually recognizing at the end of the season. I really blew this and stepping away and actually and actually resigning. Uh, his position. Uh, give me some odds, guys. I think the odds are slim that he gets completely fired. And I think, right. I mean, less than one in a hundred that he steps down uh, of his own accord. Mm. I, I really think. Um, mm. I, I don't know. I don't see it at all. That's the first I've heard, heard anyone bring it up, and that would be shocking. But I don't know. Less than one in a hundred. <laughs> Can you give me any more hope, Malky? I mean, he ain't getting fired, and he's not stepping down of his of his own accord. But uh, I have a stronger feeling than I did before his comments today that he may be getting the John Paxson treatment of being mm. um, somewhat unceremoniously shoved to a different part of the organization, reassigned. You know, I don't think Kenny Williams is going anywhere. But I'm starting. I'm starting to think there might be. They might, at the very least, get a you know fresh face to be the fall guy. Um, you know, moving forward, it's you know I don't know what what I, what I don't know remember what his comments today um, were verbatim, but it was essentially along the lines of uh, as far as other moves within the organization, uh, we don't do that in season. We'll see what happens. Uh, 
that to me sounds like a guy who's not super duper confident in the current organizational structure remaining in place past the end of the year. And the one thing that I think is worth noting uh, to that regard is that, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf owns the Bulls as well as the Sox. And the reason I say, of course, get the John Paxson treatment is that he had a very similar situation where Paxson was essentially allowed to run the Bulls into the ground. Uh, and it was the case for quite a few years before he finally was punted somewhere in the organization so they could bring in uh, someone else. And that happened when they stopped selling out games. The Bulls were an automatic sellout for 20 plus years. And after 15 years, the Jordan effect wore off and they were bad. And the United Center was half empty every night. And it's a little bit different in baseball because attendance is a lot more untied to revenue than it used to be. Uh, but the Sox keep all of the ticket and concession and parking money. And you know what? They have lost three times as many fans this year in terms of paid attendance as any other team in baseball. Their attendance is down 180,000 from where it was this time last year. That's about 3,500 fans per game. Uh, and that's not an insignificant amount of lost revenue for a team that is always crying about barely breaking even and stuff like that. Uh, so if we're following history, if there's anything that moves the needle for Jerry, it's stuff like that. Uh, and this time it wasn't intentional. You know, when you were selling Chris Sale and doing all that stuff after 2016, you could have mm -hmm. imagined attendance was plummet. That was not supposed mm -hmm. to be happening right now. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be selling out games right now. And, and mm -hmm. yeah, like I said, if anything moves the needle with Jerry, it's that. So if we're going to give odds, I'd say maybe 40, 50% in my mind that Rick Hahn is not the GM after this year whatever capacity that looks like. All right. I'm, I'm, it's not just wishful. Um, I would say this signals uh, as, as much as up until today, even uh, we, we all would have said it's a 0% chance. I would say that tone indicates to me that he might actually be tired of this. He might actually realize he's failed. And I understand it's like that, you know, that, Ivy League bravado or whatever, or that, you know, law school bravado or whatever it is, is, you know, it's tough to penetrate, but there's been a lot of <laughs> messaging that would perhaps maybe erode whatever shield you're using. I'm going to say it's a 20% chance that he is going to be actually resigning or, 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 or getting out of Dodge just because he's tired of it. And, and, you know, that coincides with a Malachi saying and that, you know, there is probably at this point, there's, there's cause to pivot probably not go fresh. I still think probably the next GM is named Ken Williams. It's just probably a junior at the end of the name. But anyway, uh, those are other podcasts uh, for the future. Um, this is dugout metrics. We have taxed Trevor Lyons for an entire hour. And of course he taxed his technology like right off the bat. So we, we got to get that bristled up, you know, really good out the next time. But we have worked him. Putting myself on mute. I think when I put myself on mute, that was what was causing it. Because ever oh, since then, I've been okay. I don't know. See? All right. Well, the, and we like the atmospheric noises. Yeah, don't worry about <laughs> no, that. You know, know, dogs, you know, dogs barking, sirens blaring, whatever. Or, you know, perfect yeah. silence. Uh, but listen, the point is we've taxed him so much that we cannot possibly ask him back for the next dugout metrics. He has earned himself <laughs> a nice break. So we're giving him... Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good gig. I mean, you come on one podcast and then you get a vacation. He gets a vacation, but hopefully, I say this every time we do dugout metrics, hopefully the next dugout metrics with Trevor Lyons is sooner than later and that before the season ends, we're going to have another one together, whether it's the, the, the core four, whether I invite someone else, we find other people just sitting in the dugout doing analytics and like, hey, come on, 
um, join us, you know, whatever, you know, Malky said it wasn't too scary. So, you know, come on, it'll be fine. There's room on the bench. Uh, but again, you've, you've earned the break. So, th- I mean, I know this is, this was taxing Trevor. So you, you do have the break. Um, Malachi is a game time decision for, uh, for our end of the week, uh, podcast with Luke, who I am happy to say that, you know, again, just I'm sorry if I've been distracted, negotiating with him as, uh, you know, on the other, on the other, co- you know, this is, <laughs> This is mission control of Southside Sox. So on the other laptop, negotiating with him, he is back. I'm I'm happy to say it was brief. We traded him very briefly. He is back for uh, Dugout Metrics edition number nine. Where we're going to be talking um, a little bit of draft reaction, a little bit of what he um, is is digging out of the numbers uh, in terms of um, college performance, things to be excited about. I'm sure he's going to spin it mostly excited, things that are maybe, you know, uh, caution flag. That's going to be a fun one. Again, Malachi, game time decision uh, on that one. But we will, believe it or not, have two dugout metrics episodes in just one week. It is unprecedented. And, of course, we're going to have to just readjust the, the entire budget. Really, this is just turning Southside Sox on its head now. The dugout metrics is back. So thank you, Trevor, for being part of that. Obviously, core member, original original dugout met- metrics gangster. So thank you for, uh, for, for showing up and fighting through the mute issue. <laughs> Never Thank mute you. again. Thank you. Thank you guys. This is always fun. And Malachi, Brett, welcome to the I, team. I, I, I have to stop you, Brett. Did you did yes. you just use did you just use Yankees terminology a moment ago? Core oh, four. No. God, I hope core not. Four? How did I do? What, what did I do? Core core four. Ooh, Are you in Yankees well, land? Let's yeah. God, oh geez. Yeah. Well, um uh kangaroo to... court fine for me. Uh <laughs> I will not be hosting the next dugout metrics. It will be Luke uh, Smales <laughs> coming directly to you because I have put myself in the penalty box for that. That is out of hand. Thank you for catching me. Thank you for the hand slap, and of course, we will determine my punishment. After the podcast, thank you for catching it, Malachi. Uh, very, very spicy for your very first uh, time on Dugout Metrics, but that's what we pay you for. So thank you for showing up. Again, we needed the arm. Okay. Keep loosening up. We need the arm. So, you know, get to work. But, um, yeah, hope to see you on Dugout Metrics uh, real soon as well. Thanks for being part of this. Yeah, for sure. I'll have to, I'll get the shoulder warmed up. You know, if it wasn't, it was it was pulled pork even before this past softball season and it's even more shredded now but you know we'll see we'll see what we can do yes next dugout metrics right up top before we get to any college draft picks we will we will catch you up on the injured list status of all four plus uh members and we'll give you the uh the complete rundown uh to see how we will carry on through the offseason thank you everybody for listening come back to us at dugout metrics very very popular podcast so let's see if we can get those numbers right back up uh because you've just been waiting you've been patient for two years thank you for waiting uh hopefully this is the uh the delicious uh, uh treat in your christmas stocking and we got another one coming just a few days so uh hang tight we really will be back sooner than you are ready for us